0: For Status Audio, this is Samantha Brotman, and I am here talking with uh, Tali Ben-Daniel from Jewish Voice for Peace. Tali is the Academic Program Manager at Jewish Voice for Peace, and she was on the team there that curated um, a new book called On Anti-Semitism, Solidarity, and the Struggle for Justice. Hi, Tali. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Um, Can we just start by asking you a little bit about Jewish Voice for Peace, or JVP, and about uh, your role there? Yeah, so JDP
1: is a national grassroots organization that um, works for justice and respect for international law in Israel and Palestine through um, advocating for the transformation of the United States and specifically cultural attitudes about Israel and Palestine in the United States and a U.S. foreign policy that reflects the ideals of justice and international law. Um, And my role as academic program manager is that I... Uh, organize our academic council, which currently has 900 members across the country. And our student, I am also working in deep collaboration with our campus coordinator who works with our student network. And we have different student chapters and different campuses across the country. And we are both trying to build an alternative Jewish community on college campuses and work in close partnership with Students for Justice in Palestine to put on divestment resolutions and various other campaigns um, in solidarity with Palestine.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Um, and so this, this book is a brand new project of JVP um, and it, it just came out as far as I know last month. In yep. In March. A mu- yeah. A month Almost now. exactly a month ago. Yeah. Wow. Um, congratulations. Uh, can you just say a tiny bit about the book generically, you know, who's in it, um, what topics does it cover? Yeah, so the book is an anthology,
1: um, and it has. we were very lucky and that a lot of the people that we asked to be a part of the book said yes, and are now in the book. So the introduction is by Judith Butler, and we also have contributions by Linda Sarsour, and by Omar Barghouti, and Shaw Magid, and Anthony Lerman and various other members um, and uh, scholars, uh, members of JVP scholars and activists. Um, Dima Khalidi, who is the executive director of Palestine Legal, has a contribution in here as well. Um, and it's it, we feel very lucky that everyone decided to be a part of this project with us. And right now, the, the book is um, split into three sections. The first goes over the histories and theories of anti-Semitism, the second part talks about anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, and the third um, talks about challenging or fighting false charges of anti-Semitism. Um, and the book, uh, you know, 10 years ago, JDP put out a very small self-published book called Reframing Anti-Semitism, and it was very much only focused on fighting false charges of anti-Semitism. And the book was um, self-published, but it's got a distribution with AK Press, and kind of had this sort of afterlife where people would pick it up and use bookstores or order it on AK Press, and we would get these emails from people who were saying that even though it was 10 years old, they still appreciated its message and wanted it, and were excited about it. Um, and so when I became staff at JVP, I would, I would get those emails in my role as in the academic program, uh, on the campus program, and it, it just felt like the right time to start the conversation over again and update this book. Um, and to make it uh, more expansive, um, to to talk about the different sort of ways that JVP has grown in the last ten years, and to include more voices, um, and then of course Trump got elected, mm-hmm. so we tried to um, the 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 conversation about anti semitism became even more urgent um, in that moment.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you kind of just touched on this, but um, I'm curious why why this topic and why this organization, why is it important for Jewish Voice for Peace, a Jewish group, to be writing about anti-Semitism now?
1: Yeah, so part of what was inspiring to us about this was um, even though we've been trying to have this conversation for many years, it still remains the case that, um, the sort of right wing of the Jewish community more broadly seems to have a little bit of, um, uh, you know, ownership over the conversation on anti-Semitism. And so much of how we think and talk about anti-Semitism in the U.S. really centers on um, the, there's a a movement to redefine anti-Semitism to um, mean criticism of Israel. And we've been trying to, uh, really push back against that because uh, we are, think that criticizing Israeli policy is an important part of work for um, human rights and justice and respect for international law. Um, and if you think that the state of Israel represents all Jews, then criticizing Israeli policy becomes a form of anti-Semitism. And so it felt really important to continue clarifying that. Um, and so that was a part of the reason why we wanted to do the book. And the other part is that a lot of the conversation about anti-Semitism really focuses on, uh, white Ashkenazi experiences with anti-Semitism and very little is said or done, um, outside of academia to think and talk about Jews of color and Sephardi and Mizrahi Jews and the histories and experiences of anti-Semitism from their perspective and from our perspective. Um, as a Mizrahi person, it felt really important to me to have that narrative in the book as well. So, um, so that was part of what uh, we were really excited about um, doing in this book.
0: And can you say a little bit about um, those terms, Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Mizrahi, just in case some people aren't quite sure with that all?
1: Yeah, thank you. Ashkenazi means um, Jewish people whose heritage comes from Europe. Um, Sephardi and, and Mizrahi are often used interchangeably, although the, both of them have slight distinctions and people have um, strong feelings about what words they would like to use for themselves. Sephardi more broadly means um, uh, like coming from Spain or the Iberian Peninsula and can also be used as a religious term to distinguish between Ashkenazi and Sephardi religious um, rituals and um, uh, melodies and um, rites and things like that. And then Mizrahi is a more um, modern word. It was um, it's a Hebrew word that means eastern, and I think the best uh, explanation or translation would be Oriental. Um, and it was used as a fairly derogatory term for most of its history, and has recently started to become reclaimed by um, uh, Mizrahi people in in Israel and and in the in the diaspora. Um, and it, it refers to Jews who come from North Africa and what's now known as the Middle East, so Iraq and Iran and um, uh various other um spaces in the in the Levant. Great.
0: Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, okay, so you mentioned that part one of the book um talks about the the histories and definitions of anti-Semitism, but it also takes on the book also takes on anti-Semitism in the US today, right? um and how we're seeing the people in the highest ranks of power in our government um actually anti- being anti-semitic and pro-israel um so can you talk a little bit about that how is that even possible
1: yeah it's it's a very confusing time i think for a lot of people because of that um what was once i think somewhat of a fringe set of ideas is now become quite mainstream and quite you know, visible in the halls of power, we have um, the the press secretary clarifying and saying Hitler never gassed his own people, which really, um, you know, is, is part of an anti-Semitic trope to, that says that Jews were never a part of the nation that they were from, right? That Jews were never German is actually a deeply anti-Semitic set of ideas. Um, at the same time, the people in the halls of power, Steve Bannon, Donald Trump, um, are really adamantly uh, pro-Israel and really admiring Bibi Netanyahu and really see Israel as a model for what they want the United States to be. And I think that's for a lot of people who feel strongly about um, their relationship to Israel in the United States, Jewish people, this can feel like a really confusing time and a really confusing moment. Um, And I think what what it really underlines is that the idea of what Israel is for some Jewish people in the United States does not actually align with the reality of Israel in the world and the Israeli governmental policy and the um, deeply right-wing and oppressive uh, policies of that government. Um, and both in its treatment towards Palestinians and towards its internal minorities, um, the the level of violence and repression that happens in that country, um, and it, it's just been very very interesting to see people like Richard Spencer say things like "is we're just we we want for this country what Israel has for itself, which is." A country for white people, and so um, it's a it's a lot to unpack and just sort of think about because anti semitism does still exist, um, but to think about it as something that's linked towards Israel, I think, is really harmful and unproductive. Mm. Definitely.
0: Um, and then you said part two is about anti semitism and Islamophobia. So why why both? Why Islamophobia? Why, why is that a part of this conversation?
1: Yeah. Part of what we really believe is that while anti-Semitism does exist in the United States and it's important to fight it, the people who, the religious minority that is most targeted and is scapegoated at the moment are Muslim and Muslim American people. Um, and that Islamophobia is... Um, uh, th- uh, truly violently targeting people in the United States at the moment and has been for a very, very long time and that we cannot have a conversation about anti-Semitism without also talking about Islamophobia because of the realities of the ways that Muslims are targeted right now. Um, where I said earlier, like, the one of the anti-Semitic tropes is that Jews are never a part of the nation that they live in. Um, I think now we're really seeing that with Muslims in the United States where um, it seems really evident throughout the election and through the current policy that Muslims are seen as foreign to the United States, that are seen as dangerous, a dangerous threat, um, and that there's a lot of violence being um, enacted towards Muslims in the U.S. right now because of those ideas. So it felt really important to make sure that those were being talked about in this book. Um, because part of what this book really wants to do is really think about justice as something that's indivisible and something that we need to think about Um, like that racism and Islamophobia and sexism and anti-Semitism are all linked and that in order to fight one, we have to fight them all. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we can't sort of split and say like, we're only gonna talk about this one piece of this giant puzzle right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and especially because uh, so much of the the right wing or the pro-Israel, the Zionist talking points are rooted in deeply Islamophobic and anti-Arab ideas. Yes, exactly, Um, exactly. Um, Okay, so then you said Part 3 of this book takes on um, the fighting of false charges of anti-Semitism. Could you talk a little bit about what that looks like, maybe give us some examples of how false charges are used to silence Palestinians or Palestinian solidarity activists on campus or elsewhere?
1: Yeah, I'm going to focus on campus because that's so much of my work, but what I've noticed on the campus, and this has been happening for many, many years, is that um, truly anti-Semitic events that happen on campus are often falsely blamed on the students who are advocating for Palestinian rights. So um, on a campus where there was a divestment resolution or when there's people advocating for a divestment resolution, um, if... There happens to also have an uh, incident of anti-Semitism, like swastikas being painted on um, on campus walls or anti-Semitic flyering. The uh, charge is often directed towards the people advocating for Palestinian rights, and there has never been an incident um, that where there's any evidence that this is coming from those advocating for Palestinian rights. But what ends up happening is the students advocating for Palestinian rights then must defend themselves either in the media or in two administrators one-on-one saying that this did not come from us. Um, But the people who are actually perpetuating this are kind of given a blood off the hook, right? So no one's going after the white supremacists who do paint swastikas on people's walls. But the direct the um, attention is being paid to people who are advocating for Palestinian rights, um, and the other thing that happens is that um, it really cements the relationship that people see between Israel and the Jewish people as a whole. And there's an assumption that Jewish people are somehow monolithically in support of Israel or that Israel represents Jewish people. And there's a couple of really strong problems with this. First is that not all Jewish people are in support of Israel in the same way or at all. Um, second is that something like 20% of Israeli citizens are not Jewish. Mm. And so Israel is already, even if you're not thinking about the occupation or about the apartheid policies in Israel, um, Israel is already not a Jewish state in, in a sort of monolithic way either. Um, so it just is a problem on multiple levels. And the other thing that happens is that um, it really makes it harder to talk about anti-Semitism because if we're thinking, it, the, the false charges dilute the, the charge of anti-Semitism mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. So um, it's a problem on multiple levels and we really wanted to make sure that we're pushing against that
0: um, argument and that analysis. Cool. Yeah, and I imagine that there are, because of that um, false sort of uh, link of all Jews and Israel together, that you get, you know, legitimate critiques of Israel being deemed anti-Semitic just because their critiques of Israel.
1: Yeah, and actually another example that might even be more illustrative is um, recently there was a class at UC Berkeley that was taught by a student on Palestine, and it was called Palestine from a Settler Colonial Analysis, which has been a form of analysis around Palestine for 40 50 60 years right like it's been a way that people have been analyzing Palestine for many many years in in, um, uh, in academia and the class, was protested by right-wing groups who said that the class was anti-Semitic because they were talking about Palestine and was actually um, denied uh, by the administration. The, the, they, they canceled the class unilaterally, you know, and there were a lot of protests, and eventually the class did get reinstated and was able to meet. But it says something really profound to say that, um, you know, researching Palestinian history, Palestinian culture, Palestinian... Um, uh, literature, is somehow anti-Semitic, um, to me is actually quite offensive, right, because there isn't anything about Palestinian history or culture that is anti-Jewish people, right? right. It is expressing a history and researching um, a, a set of historical circumstances.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um Okay, and then I wanted to ask a question about sort of the style of this book. Um, I know Jewish Voice for Peace has put out various statements in the past about anti-Semitism and about false charges and has come out in support of academics and students who've been charged with anti-Semitism falsely. Um, So why not just put out another statement? Why is this an anthology?
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, It was really important to us that it become an anthology and not a statement because we have a lot of different people in our constituency and in our organization. Um, We wanted to make sure that different people could be represented, um, not only in terms of their opinions and thoughts about anti-Semitism, but also because we wanted there to be Um, representation by Jews of color and Sephardi and Mizrahi Jews. We wanted there to be representation by Palestinians and people who have been targeted by false charges of anti-Semitism. We wanted to make sure that we had room in the Uh, whatever we produced, to think about uh, Islamophobia, and the way that Islamophobia works in the US. So it just became really transparent that it wasn't one singular voice that we were aiming for, but that we wanted many different people to contribute to this project, and for it to be a communal project. And really the goal for this book is to spark conversations, and I really hope that people read it, and disagree with it, and like some parts, and dislike other parts, um, and talk about it, and get in fights about it, because I think um, we really didn't want to be saying a kind of um, final statement on what anti-Semitism is and does for JVP forever. That felt unproductive in this moment and that it actually felt more productive to have a thing that people could latch onto and have conversations
0: about. What do you hope people will do? I mean, you mentioned getting together and disagreeing and arguing about it. (laughs) Uh, Productively, (laughs) friendly, friendly discussions, friendly (laughs) argumentative discussions. Exactly. So in your dream world, what would what would people who care about Palestine and who care about the larger movement do with this book?
1: I mean, I would love for people to get together and talk about it. I think that feels like such a dream. I would love for people to talk about anti-Semitism in a complicated way in relationship to other forms of oppression. Um, I think for too long, conversations about anti-Semitism have felt pretty removed from the conversations that are happening everywhere else in the left. So In the left, we are um, in this kind of wonderful moment where people are really trying to have deep conversations about how systems of oppression relate to each other, how um, sexism and homophobia and racism and um, ableism all are interacting with each other and intersecting with each other. Um, And I think for too long, conversations about anti-Semitism have not been able to really... um, uh, access that same level of intersections between between anti-Semitism and other forms of discrimination and racism and, and oppression in the United States. And I think that makes it a really impoverished conversation, right? Where the the sort of mainstream narrative is that anti-Semitism is a thing that happened in Europe in the past. Um, or that 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 the European antisemitism in the past is somehow the same as what's happening today. Um, or that and and in my experience that's just um, it doesn't quite get the whole story of how Jews, the position of Jewish people in the United States and the experiences people have around anti-Semitism and that also that Jewish people are diverse and that there are people who experience both racism and anti-Semitism um, and that that is a different experience than someone who's just experiencing anti-Semitism as a white Jewish person. So it just felt like a moment that I'm, I'm really hoping that people can just have conversations and um, critique parts of the book and develop new and exciting ways to think about it um, and, to, and to use it in our organizing. Um, so um, I'm, I'm an academic, and so I feel really uh, excited about people just having conversations and thinking about things in a new way.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, I hope we get book groups popping up across yes, the country. Yes. It would be a dream. Um And so then that kind of segues nicely into what will be my last question, which is um, how do you see the role of this book in the larger Palestine solidarity movement?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of my dreams, and this is again coming from my experience on campuses, is that um the larger solidarity movement, and I'm thinking specifically about, you know, places like SJP and JVP chapters on campuses, um, different community chapters and organizations, and also just individual people who are in support of um, uh, human rights in Palestine and and respect for international law in Palestine, um, can uh, be really, really clear that Criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic, and that advocating for Palestinian rights is not anti-Semitic. And to really call it out whenever it happens with authority and with confidence—that um, there are, there is anti-Semitism in the world, and we can be, uh, um, we can really learn about the different anti-Semitic tropes, right, that that exist in the world and the histories of anti-Semitism and the experiences of anti-Semitism. And with that knowledge, um, go forward and really be very clear that advocating for Palestinian human rights and advocating for respect for international law and freedom of movement and the right of return and access to water and education is not anti-Semitism, but is in fact um, about our human struggle for justice.
0: Well, thank you so, so much for sharing about this book and for sharing a bit about the, the work that you're doing overall. Um, It's been wonderful to talk with you. Yeah, thank
1: you so much. And if anybody's interested in finding out more about events around the book, they can go to onantisemitism.com. And you can also buy the book there, too.
0: Great. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye.